Alright, so notice what it says. Let's go ahead and start reading in verse 1 of Zechariah chapter 2. It says, I lifted up mine eyes again and looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then said I, Whither goest thou? And he said unto me, To measure Jerusalem, to see what is the breadth thereof and what is the length thereof. And behold, the angel that talked with me went forth, and another angel went out to meet him and said unto him, Run, speak to this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls for the multitude of men and cattle therein. For I say that the Lord will be under her a wall of fire round about and will be the glory in the midst of her. So one of the things that we're seeing in this prophecy right here, like many prophecies in the Old Testament, is one that had an intended fulfillment for those days. Okay? Now, I really, need, I really need you to get this concept here. Okay, one problem that we have when battling the pro-Israel crowd of today, a, ba- a, a real challenge that you have with when you're uh, fighting or debating, whatever you want to call it, dispensationalists, is the fact that dispensationalists they have no set rules for how they interpret scriptures. They have no consistency at all. They jump around to all over the Old Testament and they never use context. And they get away with it because of the fact that their audience is always completely clueless about the context of those Scriptures. So as they jump around from Scripture to Scripture, it's easy for them to look like they really know what they're talking about. Wow, you know, he pulled a you know, quote from Zechariah. You know, I have no idea what that book's all about. You know, what is it, what's this talking about? I was talking about this guy with the measuring line in his hand and all this stuff. So they'll, they'll take verses from places like this. You know, they'll take a verse from Ezekiel. And then what they do is they'll show a promise that's there. And then they will tell you how this now has to be fulfilled. Otherwise, God is a liar. And if you don't agree with them, you're saying that God is a liar. And this works as far as getting people on board if your audience is ignorant. Okay? And it's, it, we're never going to be able to straighten the dispensationalists out as far as you know, getting their doctrine right. But if we can educate people on certain concepts of the Old Testament and just the Old Testament in general, then they're going to be able to see through this junk. Because obviously there's a million examples we can go to and there's a lot of verses that they can go to. And if, they, if people don't know the context they're going to be able to put one over on you. So, something that you need to understand about Old Testament prophecies is that the prophecies we see in the Old Testament, they had an intended fulfillment for that day. Okay. Now, let me ask you this. Because this is something I think all would agree on, including the dispensationals. Do we agree that it was always God... You know, God always knew Jesus was going to die on the cross. Yes, obviously there's there's no doubt about that. We it's always that's God always knew that was going to be the plan. Okay? But did the Jews obey God or disobey God when they had Jesus crucified? They disobeyed, didn't they? They did not do what he told them to do. They were supposed to receive the Messiah, weren't they? Now just because God knew that they were going to kill the Messiah does not mean that that was God's will you know, at that time or that was God's command for them to do that. Okay? God knows a lot of things. God knows some people are going to kill themselves. 
doesn't mean it's God's will for them to kill themselves. No, but God in His will and His sovereignty and His power, He often is able to put things in place and guarantee certain things were going to happen even if people didn't do His will. So one thing you've got to understand when you're reading the Old Testament is a lot of these promises that we see, they God would often give promises of things He's going to do, but then God would also tell Israel, this is what you must also do. And one thing that we find out after we read through the entire Bible is Israel always failed on their end, but yet God still managed to keep His promises. But because Israel didn't do what they were supposed to do, it often means that they aren't going to be on the good end when it comes to God keeping His promises. And I'm going to show you some examples of that kind of as we go through this. So I say all that to say when you look at this chapter here in this book, you've got to understand when Zechariah wrote this to the people, it had an intended fulfillment. It had an intended meaning for those people in that day. But but the children of Israel did not do what they were supposed to do. So now we know from the New Testament that the promises that God gave in here are going to be fulfilled still, but in another way. Showing God always comes through on His end even though people fail on their end. With the dispensationalists, where they mess up is they fail to see the intended you know, purpose for that day and to see that Israel missed the boat. That's what they that's what that where they mess up big time. And so as we go through this, hopefully you'll understand what I'm talking about and this will be really clear. So many prophecies like this also came with certain promises of God that must come to pass. So in this prophecy, you know, it did not come to pass as originally intended in those days. It didn't affect because they didn't do what they were supposed to do. So now there's a, a new way. And these things will now be fulfilled under the new covenant. Okay? Israel, they were not supposed to kill Jesus. But they did. So now the promises are going to be fulfilled under the new covenant. And that changes some things. So keep all that in mind. So even in the New Testament, we can see even though Israel failed to do their part, God will still fulfill His promises. So let's look at this chapter and how it was meant to be interpreted in those days. So in these first five verses that we read, we see that God is letting a nation that had been in distress for 70 years, and in many ways even longer, He let them know that He was going to protect them and that He was going to dwell with them. Okay, That's a promise, folks. God said, I'm going to dwell in the midst of you. Remember that. Okay? Yes, I'll agree with the dispensationalists. God is going to dwell in the midst of them. He's saying this to Israel. They've been, and really, in reality, they've been, in cap, you know, they've been in distress more than just the 70 years. You know, They had the time when the Assyrians were threatening them. God ended up protecting them in that situation. But throughout their entire history, they've constantly had nations coming in, oppressing them, fighting them. They were always in danger. They always had challenges. And God is telling Israel, who needs comfort after all that they've been through for over 70 years, to say, you know, one of these days, I'm going to come and I'm going to dwell in the midst of you. And understand, I believe it was originally intended for that to start a long time ago. Now, God always knew it wasn't going to happen that way. 
But did you know that God is still going to keep that promise of dwelling in the midst of His people? That's still going to come to pass. So that's what He's talking about in verse in verse five. It says, "For I saith the Lord, will be a wall of fire round about, and will be a glory in the midst of her." Verse six: Ho, ho, come forth and flee from the land of the north, saith the Lord. For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of heaven, saith the Lord. That's a reference to the North Pole and proof of Santa Claus right there. That's a little code that God put in there. No, I'm just kidding. I've heard people bring that verse up before. But, he, but notice what he says. I've spread you abroad as the four winds of heaven, saith the Lord. Okay. Now let me ask you, and you've got to know this, folks. If you don't know this, some dispensationalist is going to be preaching out of Matthew 24 and he's going to jump back to Zechariah chapter 2 and he's going to use this verse here to teach some stupidity. And if you don't know what this passage is talking about, you might think, wow, he's really got something there. But if you know what this passage is talking about, you're going to understand this man is a fool and ignorant. Okay? He, spread, he had spread them abroad in the four winds. When did this happen? This was a result of the Babylonian captivity. They got scattered throughout the whole world after the Babylonian captivity. You had the Medes and the Persians come. The Jews were scattered abroad during this time. And it was during this time when they're about to rebuild their walls and rebuild the temple where God is calling them to come back to Jerusalem. He's calling them to come back. God is trying to regather His people. This is not something that was meant for thousands of years in the future. This was something that was meant back then in those days. But let me ask you this. Did they all come back? No, they didn't. Israel did not regather like they were supposed to. They didn't come back. You know one problem that the Jews have always had? Is they've always gotten comfortable wherever they're at. And they don't want to leave. You know, God had to practically drag them out of Egypt. And then while they were in the wilderness, they kept wanting to go back to Egypt, didn't they? That's how they've always been. And that's why, you know, even people like Hitler... Who some people say is Jew, and I don't know if that's true or not, oppressed his own people. That's why the Rothschilds and things have oppressed their own people. Why? Because Jews always are comfortable where they're at and they're trying to get them to go back to their land. And that's, that's why a lot of people think the Holocaust was all about trying to make them all want to go back to Israel. I don't know, that, that, that's possible, I guess. But the problem is, that's not their land over there. And even if it was, that's a really weird way of doing it, but. Anyway, notice what he says in verse 7. Deliver thyself, O Zion, that dwellest with the daughter of Babylon. God's calling on them to come back to Jerusalem. He's calling on them to get out of Babylon. God's going to punish these nations where they've been scattered abroad. That's why He's telling them to get out of there. One, they're supposed to be in their land. But two, God is about to judge these other nations. So He's calling them out of that land. Okay? This is not, once again, this is not a prophecy for the future. This was for then, during that day. God was trying to regather His people. This was not obeyed. We see in the New Testament, you read the book of James. How does the book of James start? It's written to the twelve tribes that are scattered abroad over 400 years later, and they still haven't come back. Even though they had a temple there, they still didn't come back like they were supposed to. And so, you know, they said they always got comfortable wherever they were at. 
So now turn over to Matthew chapter 24. Alright? Because I'm going to show you a fatal error the dispensationalists make when interpreting Matthew chapter 24. And I know people too that would not consider themselves, you know, hardcore dispensationalists, but yet, once again, everyone uses dispensationalism when they need it. And if you're pre-trib, you're going to need it all the time. That's just all there is to it. You're, you have to have the dispensational double talk. So, you know, we, you know, Matthew 24, 29 through 31, we love that passage, don't we? That's our in your face to them. Right? Because they don't have a verse that says before the tribulation, but we have one that says after the tribulation. Okay? And you all know this verse. Everybody's got it tattooed to the back of their eyelid in here. But look at it says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun shall be dark and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And before I get to this next verse, if I can just stop and say, that was one of the things that blew my mind when I started going post-trib is that people were saying this wasn't the rapture. Even in my most hardcore pre-trib days, I always believed this was the rapture. I mean, how could it not be the rapture? Yeah, you know, it just and so when all of a sudden I started hearing people say this isn't the rapture, I'm like, you're crazy. If that's not the rapture, you know, if Matthew 24 has nothing to do with the rapture, then how come we've been making fun of Peter Ruckman and all these other weirdos that set dates for the rapture and saying no man knows the day or the hour? We've been using that verse forever against the Herald Campings and every nut job out there that tried predicting the day of the rapture. And you're now going to tell me because I finally noticed that it says after the tribulation that's no longer the rapture? That's not fair. Okay? But that's, that's what they do. And they all use no man knows the day or the hour to prove we don't know the day of the rapture. But then, when you go and you show them it's after the tribulation, then, then all of a sudden they change the subject. It's not about the rapture. Alright? So what do they do though? When you really, if you can really press them on this, if they haven't run away screaming yet, what do they do? They'll go to verse 31, and he shall send his angels with the great sound of the trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now, you and I, as poor saps, you know, we think the elect are the saved. But they will tell no, the elect is Israel. He's gathering them from the four winds like we see in Zechariah chapter 2, verse 6, For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of heaven, saith the Lord. Right there. It's Israel, they've been scattered all over. And one of these days, God is going to bring them back. He's going to gather them all up. His people have been scattered abroad. And then that's where I spend the next 20 minutes talking about all the oppression of the Jews. What the Russians did to them, what Hitler did to them, the Holocaust, these nut jobs that deny the Holocaust, blah blah blah. You know, and I tell you a whole bunch of you know, Jew, you know, Jew stories, and then talking about how great the Jews are, and all these nut jobs out there that think that they're the Jews. You know, what's that all about? Well, here's here's the thing. What we see there in Zechariah, with them being scattered. Of, you know, from the four winds. What we see in Matthew chapter 24, I actually do believe that there is a connection there. Okay? I do believe that it is appropriate to kind of make a connection there. 
I, I get why, on one hand, why they're doing it, but on the other hand, they're missing something. They've, just, they've completely forgotten some things. And it's not that they forgot, they've just never been taught these things because they've been, they've been lied to. And I'll say more about that as we go through this. So they'll teach us as a regathering of Israel. And here's what they also need to do. They need to decide, okay? And it's just it's it's ridiculous to ask a pre-tribber or a dispensationalist to be consistent in their Bible interpretation. But you need to ask them, when was this fulfilled? Is this fulfilled was this fulfilled in nineteen forty eight? When Israel became a nation again? Jews are all coming home. You look today, thousands of Jews every day going back to their homeland. God's fulfilling this prophecy that He's going to gather them for the four winds. I hear Him say that all the time. Okay. Alright. If that's how you're going to interpret that, then what about Matthew 24, verse 31, when it says that it's, you know, after the tribulation, He sends His angels to gather the elect. So when is this fulfilled? Is it fulfilled right now or in 1948? Or is this fulfilled after the tribulation? They needed a pick. They need to decide which one of these they're going to follow and they'll just use whichever one they need for whatever argument they're having at that time. But they're never going to be consistent on this. They can't be consistent. Look at verse 8. It says, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, After the glory hath He sent Me unto the nations which spoiled you, for he that toucheth you toucheth the apple of his eye. Don't mess with Israel, folks. Don't mess with Israel. You know, mark her down, son. You stand against Israel. God's going to be done with you. John Dorsey. I've heard him say that before. Anybody know who John Dorsey is? My favorite camp meeting preacher. Alright. Oh, man. He's on that video that I just posted of the people running around. You can see him up on the stage. Any good camp meeting video, he's in the room. Or somewhere somewhere on the video. But, you know, the preacher's always like, mark her done. You know, we mess with God's people. God's going to be messing with us. You know, because God cares more about Antichrist Jews than He does about all the babies that we're killing. You know, they don't seem to be as worried about that. They're more worried about Trump, you know, cutting some funding to Israel than they are about Bill sponsoring abortions and funding Planned Parenthood and things like that. I tell you, if they put a bill out there saying, Alright, we're going to cut funding to Planned Parenthood, but with it, we're also going to compromise and we're going to cut funding to Israel too. Baptists wouldn't know what to do. Oh man, we can't quit funding, cut funding to Israel. Otherwise, we're going to lose God's blessing on our country. You know, we can't do anything against them. You touch her, you touch the apple of God's eye. That's what they say. They love bringing up this verse. There's a bunch of nut job goofballs, and John Dorsey preaches at this conference every year. It's called the Hope of Israel Conference. And they've got a, on their poster, they have an apple on there with the you know, Israeli flag on it. Because okay? yeah, they're, they're the apple of God's eye. Makes, it just makes me sick. Makes me sick. Just wicked, ignorant, trash foolishness. And you know what makes me so mad about that conference? I, I mean, when I saw the redneck hick nut jobs that were going to be preaching at this thing... I wanted to watch those sermons so bad, and they didn't post them online, and I'm still bitter about that. I, I wanted I, I wanted to hear what John, I wanted to listen to John Dorsey get up and preach a message on Israel. I would have paid I would pay money. Hey, if somebody out there can find a sermon online, you can send me of John Dorsey. You know, preaching on that from that service, man. 
I'll, I'll give him twenty bucks. All right, twenty bucks. I, I, I want it that. I want it that bad. I, I might even go up. I, I could probably be tempted to pay more. That would that would be just pure gold, pure entertainment. But it says in verse nine, for behold, I will shake mine hand upon them, and they shall be a spoil of their servants. And ye shall know the Lord of hosts has sent me. So why did God say this? He that toucheth you touch the apple of his eye, because he's about to punish the Babylonians. He's going to punish the Babylonians. He's going to punish these nations that had hurt His people. And that this already happened. God dealt severely with Babylon. You can read a lot about what God did to them you know, through Alexander the Great in history. The Bible doesn't record these things. But I mean, they got hammered hard. Why? Because they messed with God's people. This already happened. This isn't a prophecy for America... If we stop supporting Israel, this was something that was for back then, during that day, and you're, you're going to have a hard time finding one of these idiots preaching a message about supporting Israel without them going to Zechariah chapter 2, verse 8 and applying that to countries today and you know, saying that's because they mess with God's people. They're not God's people. God's promising, promising that He's going to deal with those nations, the ones who have messed with them, during their day and during that time. And God did that very thing. Verse 10, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord. And many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and shall be My people, and I will dwell in the midst of thee. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent Me unto thee. Okay? This technically should have taken place when Jesus Christ came the first time. He told him, I'm going to dwell in the midst of you. I'm going to dwell in the midst of you. That's what He's promising them here. This was supposed to happen technically during the time Jesus Christ came the first time. But verse 12 says, "...and the Lord shall inherit Judah, His portion in the Holy Land, and shall choose Jerusalem again, be silent, O all flesh, before the Lord, for He is raised up out of His holy habitation." Okay, now last week we talked about this. Once again, what does it mean when God says He's going to choose Jerusalem? It means His temple will be there. That's what that means. His temple will be there. I showed that last week. They didn't have a temple during this time. It had gotten destroyed by the Babylonians. But God has now commissioned them to build another one. Haggai and Zechariah, they're prophesying these things to the people to get them to get to work to get these things built. Why? Because God's going to yet choose Jerusalem again. In other words, His temple is going to be there again. That's what this is talking about. And they rebuilt the temple. This is not something that's for the future. This is something that already happened. Okay? So, how was, and, once, and I'm, going to, I'm going to do a little review here when we were from Malachi chapter 3. Okay, if you didn't see that message, go back and watch it. But what was supposed to happen when Jesus came the first time? Verse 1 of Malachi chapter 3, Behold, I will send My messenger, and he shall prepare the way before Me, and the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to His temple. Even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of His coming? And who shall stand when He appeareth? For He is like a refiner's fire and a fuller soap, and He shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. And He shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. 
Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord as in the days of old and as in the former years. And I will come near to you in judgment and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against false swears and against those that oppress the hireling and his wages, the widow of the fatherless, and that turn aside the stranger from his right and fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts. Very clearly, when Jesus came the first time, John the Baptist was to prepare the way of the Lord. He was to get these people ready to receive Him. And then, Jesus Christ, He was gonna, he would purify these people. He was going to be like a refiner's fire. And then they would be able... To, he was going to purify the priests. He was going to purge them. And then they were going to be able to offer up a sacrifice acceptable to the Lord. But remember what the disciples asked Jesus. Hey, the scribes say that Elias must first come. And Jesus said, yes, Elijah shall surely come and restore all things. But... What did He say? They killed Him. And He said, and they're going to do the same thing to Me. you all see what Jesus is saying there? He was saying, yes, Malachi chapter 3 is right. But they didn't do what they were supposed to do. They killed John the Baptist. They're going to kill Me. That's what... And so therefore, some things changed. The Old Covenant didn't work and Jesus brought in the new covenant, a better covenant. So understand that some of these things here that we see in Zechariah, it didn't play out the way originally intended. He did not end up dwelling in the midst of them. He did not end up defeating their enemies during that time. None of those things happened during that time. In fact, 40 years after Jesus ascended into heaven, what happened? Israel received the worst persecution that they ever had. They had a time like a time they had never had before. They suffered the worst destruction ever. I mean, Jerusalem was wiped out to the point that the it, just like Micah the prophet prophesied, I mean, it looked like a plowed field. You couldn't even tell that that city, that, that uh, Mount Zion, had ever been inhabited. That's how completely and utterly it was destroyed. In fact, many people, the preterists look at that time and if you read about it in history, and they will tell you that it was the tribulation. And I will tell you that on one hand, I will say that yes, it was the tribulation, but the problem is in that tribulation, they didn't get delivered. The rapture didn't come for them. You know why? Because all these promises of deliverance were to God's people they didn't receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. So when their tribulation came, you know what it was? It was just that. It was just tribulation. No deliverance. And so now, but now, so the old covenant tribulation that came, it just meant destruction for them. But when the real tribulation comes, the New Testament tribulation comes, that there are some very close similarities to what we see in the Old Testament when it comes, it's going to play out like we read about in the New Testament where instead of us delivering ourselves, instead of us delivering ourselves from Babylon, God's going to do it for us. Just like in the Old Covenant, you know, we see how they were supposed to purify themselves. We see under the New Covenant, we don't purify ourselves. Jesus purifies us instead. In the Old Covenant, we see one thing after another where Israel is supposed to do these things themselves. They couldn't do any of it. In the New Covenant, Jesus did it all for us. That's, and that is why we even have a chance. That's why 
Well, whoever that idiot was that put that video out, I think he's out of Mike Allison's church, that he's put these videos out against marching design and against what we teach. And he's talking about, you know, these people, they say that, you know, Israel couldn't keep the covenant, but they act like they have. Well, yeah, I have, but not by my works, but I have by His works. So, yeah, there's a big difference between us and Israel. Because in the New Covenant, Jesus did it for us. And these people, they, it's like they still think these Jews have a chance without Christ. And that's a bunch of garbage. It's trash. It's heresy. It's wicked. So this... Uh, you know, so had, had these things taken place, and I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I believe Jesus would have caused the Ezekiel temple to be built and it would have lasted forever. That's what I think. People look at the Ezekiel temple in Ezekiel chapter 40 through 48, I believe it is, and they act like it's something that's still to come. And I'm not going to take time to go through, go through the parts in Ezekiel. We might go into some of it in some later weeks. But let me just say this, and I'm going to prove this to you beyond a shadow of a doubt. There will not be an Ezekiel temple. There will never be an Ezekiel temple. There will be another temple, I believe, that the Antichrist will, you know, it will be one that is supposed as the temple of God. They'll call it the temple of God. He'll go in there and he'll do his thing, but it's all a fraud. It's all, it's all meant to deceive. But there will never be a temple, again, where any sacrifices are done to take away sins. Ever. There, there never will be one. And I don't care what pe- you read in the book of Ezekiel, that's not going to happen. Why? Because that prophecy in Ezekiel was that was an outcome assuming Israel did what they were supposed to do. And newsflash, they didn't do what they're supposed to do. So that temple got replaced by a new temple. The body of Jesus Christ. I'm going to prove to you there is there is no future temple where sacrifices, real sacrifices that take away sins are going to be done. It's not going to happen. It never will. The dispensationalists are nut jobs. They're wrong, and they are in completely going against the book of Hebrews when they even say that. Because Zechariah chapter two, while I've been showing you in here how there was an intended fulfillment for that day. I want to show you though that some of these things that are in here actually those still have some significance for future prophecy. So now let's look at how it's going to be fulfilled now. Because the first Israel would not obey God, but Jesus obeyed God for us. That's one thing we're very thankful for. The first Israel would not believe Babylon and come to the first Jerusalem, but Jesus will deliver us from this present evil world that we're strangers and pilgrims on that we are scattered abroad upon. We will be delivered. We will be snatched out of here by the angels, kind of like Lot was snatched out of Sodom and Gomorrah. They had to drag him out of there. We don't do the things ourselves that we're supposed to do. So Jesus does them for us. Okay, And so when these guys want to go to Zechariah chapter 2 and act like this is what we're seeing in Matthew chapter 24, then how come God told them in Zechariah chapter 2 to deliver themselves? He was telling them themselves to leave. How come we don't see that in Matthew chapter 24? It doesn't say, you know, get yourselves in heaven. No, He's going to send His angels to do it. They're going to gather us up after we have seen Him and after He's changed our vile body. Because we can't purify ourselves. 
in a way that will be acceptable. We can't go to heaven in this condition, but yet we know that one of these days when we see Him, we're going to be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. He's going to change our vile body. Not us. We can't cleanse ourselves, but His blood has, and when we see Him, He will change us and we'll be like Him. So, in Zechariah 2, we, once again, they were supposed to deliver themselves. In Matthew 24, Jesus delivers us Himself. The glory of God could not dwell in the first Jerusalem because they wouldn't purify themselves. But the glory of God will dwell in the new Jerusalem and with us because Jesus purified us Himself. That's what He gets all the glory. We are not worthy, but He is worthy. Zechariah 2.10 says, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord. And many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and shall be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of thee. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto thee. And the Lord shall inherit Judah his portion in the Holy Land, and shall choose Jerusalem again. Now, what, see, and this is where the dispensationalists get people. If you don't understand that there was an intended outcome for that day, if you don't understand that the dispensations are going to come along and they're going to say, when was that fulfilled? You know, these guys want to say that the first part of the chapter was fulfilled, you know, back during that day. But let me, when did that happen? That never happened. Obviously, this, you know, has been fulfilled. And so, you know, what do we say in that situation? Well, once again, when it came to Israel's part, they didn't do their part. But when it comes to God and what He says He's going to do, He is going to do those things, but it's going to be in a different way under the New Covenant. And just so you all know, God is going to dwell in the midst of His people. But what does that look like in the New Covenant? What does the New Covenant teach us? Because the Old Covenant did not work. And that's what they all forget. That's what they don't want to pay attention to. And let me just say it one more time. There will not be a millennial reign temple. And there will not be a new heaven and new earth temple. There will not be, or there will not, or there will not be a temple, I should say, made with hands. Okay? There will be a temple, but not one made with hands. Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 24. Alright, this is Ezekiel 37. Before we get to chapters 40 through 48, where it talks about, goes into great detail about this future temple. But look what it says in Ezekiel 37, verse 24. And David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they all shall have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob, my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt. And they shall dwell therein, even they and their children and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will place them and multiply them and will set My sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. You all see that right there? That proves right there God's not done with Israel. Then notice how He mentioned again, I'm going to set My tabernacle or My sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. You ought to underline these verses. My tabernacle shall also be with them. Yea, I will be their God, and they shall be My people. And the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel. 
when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. Okay? Now, a dispensationalist would tell you that this is that Ezekiel temple that we see in chapters 40 through 48. And yes, that's what it was talking about, but understand that that was under the intended outcome for this prophecy. Okay? And notice that temple. They say this is something that is to come. And yes, it is to come, but not in this way. Because this temple that he mentions, or this tabernacle, it's one that will be in the midst of them forever. They would say that's a building. Okay? They will argue with this. They will fight you on this. They will say, no, this is a physical building that's referring to. I say that it's not going to happen. That is not going to happen. There will not be a physical building in the midst of His people forevermore. So you're going against Ezekiel 37. Well, I'm not the one who violated the terms of the first covenant. I would have if I'd have been there during that time. But thankfully, Jesus fulfilled that new covenant for me, so I'm not worried about the old covenant. I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. Look at what Zechariah 6, verse 12 says. And speak unto them, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man whose name is the branch, and he shall grow up out of his place, and shall build the temple of the Lord. Physical temple. Made with hands. Original intent. Okay? Even ye shall build the temple of the Lord, and he shall bear the glory, and shall sit and rule upon his throne. And he shall be a priest upon his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. And the crowns shall be to Helam, to Tobijah, to Jediah, and to Hen the son of Zephaniah for a memorial in the temple of the Lord. And they that are far off shall come and build in the temple of the Lord. And ye shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you. Watch this. And this shall come to pass if ye will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. You all see that right there? That's a pretty important disclaimer that's put in right there. This will come to pass if you will do this. What will come to pass? He's going to build this temple that's going to be in the midst of you. If ye will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. So what happens if they don't? That's a good question. Because they didn't. They didn't. We now need to look at that. Now when we read these prophecies, it's important that we go and we ask ourselves, well, you know what? These are some cool outcomes that were prophesied here, but something needed to happen. They were supposed to obey. They didn't. So that kind of cancels some things out, doesn't it? Yeah, but God's promises, they always come to pass. Yep. And He promised if they didn't, then that wasn't going to happen for them. But yet, the things that God promises, He still makes them to come to pass anyway, doesn't He? But sometimes it comes out a little different than originally intended. But whatever happens, okay, whenever God makes a promise that if you'll do a certain thing, if you mess that up, anything that God has promised that He was going to do no matter what, if something changes, it's always for the better. Everything in the New Testament under the New Covenant is better. That's why you constantly see that word in the book of Hebrews. You constantly see the term better over and over again because everything is better. 
And I believe that God will keep the promise of dwelling in the midst of His people, building a tabernacle, doing all these things that He promised, but it's actually going to be done in a better way under the New Covenant. And so, what does this look like? Do we have something to look forward to? Well, you better believe we have something to look forward to. Now, while the dispensationalists are looking for a building that, let's just admit, you know, you read the book of Ezekiel, probably would have been a pretty cool building. I'd like to see what a building like that would look like. I'd like to see what Solomon's temple looked like, or even Herod's temple that was in Jesus' day. That would be a pretty cool sight to behold. But what do we have to look forward to since we don't have the beloved building to look forward to? Actually, something a whole lot better. Look what it says in Revelation chapter 21. This is New Testament. The Old Covenant, they did not obey. Everybody knows that. Revelation 21.1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth were passed away, and there was no more seed. And I, John, saw the holy city New Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be with them and be their God. Now, doesn't that sound a lot like what we read in Ezekiel chapter 37 when it says, and I will make a covenant of peace with them. It should be an everlasting covenant. I will place them. I will multiply them. Put my sanctuary in the midst of them forever. My tabernacle shall also be with them. Yea, I will be their God. They shall be my people. Do you all see the similarities between these? Now, let me ask you. You know, if this is going to come to pass with a building for Israel, then who's included in Revelation 21? Are we going to have two different gods dwelling with two different people forever? Or do we have all have the same God? Okay, we serve the same God of the Old Testament, don't we? But look what it says in verse 22. Well, you know, he's one, but he's going to dwell in the temple. He's going to dwell in the temple amongst them, like he said in Ezekiel. No, he's not. Look what it says in verse 22. And I saw no temple therein. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. Case closed. No future temple. There is, that temple that they talked about in Ezekiel and Zechariah was one that was going to last forever. Not just for the millennial reign. It was one that was going to last forever. And yet here in Revelation where he's saying the exact same things, where the fulfillment of Ezekiel 37 comes to pass, it flat out says there is no temple. Why? You know why? Because Jesus Christ, His body was the temple. That's why He said to them, destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up again. You know what Jesus built? You know what Jesus did that was so much better than a building? You know what He did? He went and He just was the sacrifice Himself. He gave Himself, His own body, as the sacrifice for sins. He paid for the sins of the whole world. He died and three days later, He rose again from the dead and He ever liveth to make intercession for us. He no longer has to go into the temple daily. There doesn't need to be any yearly sacrifice anymore. Therefore, we need no building like they would have needed under the first covenant. Because under the first covenant, if they would have received them, then they would have had to have a high priest forever. 
They would have had to have sacrifices forever. They would have had to have the Aaron, the Aaronic or the Levitical priesthood forever like originally given in the book of Leviticus. God told Aaron. God chose him and his generations and it said forever. That's what He said. He didn't say temporarily or just during this dispensation. He said no. He said forever. But they failed. They messed up. So Jesus brought in a better covenant with a better priesthood, with better sacrifices, and a better temple. And these dispensationalists don't even realize while they just get, you know, they get so disgusted by replacement theology, they don't even realize they're trying to replace Jesus Christ with a building. There's some replacement theology for you. They have no idea what they're talking about and they are preying on the ignorance of God's people when it comes to Old Testament Scriptures. When you read Old Testament prophecies, you've got to understand not everything is going to play out as exactly as laid out in those passages because of the fact there were some disclaimers in there. These were the outcomes assuming Israel obeyed. And they didn't. Just like you as parents, you often give your children instructions and sometimes even promise rewards assuming they obey. When they don't obey, it changes the outcome. If you tell your kids, if you're good, you're going to get candy when I get home. And then you come home and the house is torn apart. Found out they weren't good. And they're like, but you promised candy. You're a liar. I said if you were good. So now, you don't get the candy. Now, I get the candy. You know? <laughs> or somebody else is going to eat this candy. And Israel didn't do what they were supposed to do. And so, you know what? Somebody else got their candy. Somebody Spiritual Israel got it. They got it instead. And the truth is, they could still get in on it if they'd get saved. If they would get in on the New Covenant if they would trust in Jesus Christ. But until they do that, they're done for. They have, and there is, there is no building to look forward to. And so it's important that we understand these concepts. And keep these things in mind too because later when we get in the book of Zechariah, we're going to kind of see a little bit of a shift that I think, I think is pretty interesting when we get to kind of the second part to a vision that he had uh, I think two months or some months later, it kind of we kind of see a shift on things here that I think are going to be interesting. But so far, everything we've been looking at, it's been assuming the first covenant gets kept. There's promises in there that yes, they still could be applied to future. If you want to connect, you know them coming being delivering themselves from Babylon to Matthew and the four winds to Matthew 24. You can make a connection there, but you must note the extreme difference between delivering themselves and God delivering them. That's the difference between the Old Covenant and New Covenant right there. So, when you realize that, then you'll see the connection, but you're also going to see the difference too and understand why Matthew 24 is not talking about gathering the Jews. It's talking about gathering us. There's no doubt about it. That's the rapture. And the pre-tribbers, they've just got to come to grips with that. 
and admit they were wrong. But let's, with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You for uh, the clarity of it. I pray You'll help us to, uh, Lord, take these things, apply them. I pray we'll read them. I pray we'll remember them. Lord, it's a lot of a lot of deep stuff, a lot of detail, but it's so important, Lord, that we, we've got to stop letting the dispensationalists put one over on us just because of our ignorance of some of these passages. Help us to see the truth for what it is. Help us to look, understand the context of these things so we won't be deceived. In Your name we pray. Amen.